Why are you married? Not why did you get married? That's an interesting conversation. You're going to talk about that later. But why are you married now? Because however long you've been married, whether it's been two weeks, two years, 20 years, it's changed probably a little bit. Because you've changed. Life means change, means growth or entropy. But there's going to be change. You've changed and your marriage has changed. So why are you married now? You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. This is a recording from a live Operation Thriving Marriage experience that we did at New Life Church back in May of 2022. We had such a wonderful time there, and the participants that were there just gave us so much energy, and we always have a good time doing these live events because of that energy and also uh, because we're able to interact uh, with the participants. We're able to do the Q&As, and uh, we're also able to hear their stories as well. So we're looking forward to more live events at your church, at military bases, and at retreats. So I hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to rate and subscribe. I've told Jen this before, I'll share. Um, The first thing, we met, um, both of us did theater. She was in a show with my best friend. I was in a show with her best friend. We met doing theater. She came to closing night of my show. My best friend came to that same show, and they happened to see each other. It's like, oh, we know each other. And they joined us at TGI Fridays. Are there any TGI Fridays left? I think there were a couple. (laughs) There used to be TGI Fridays on every corner. So we went to TGI Fridays after the the show. My buddy Jim was there with Jen, and I really thought her hair was just really attractive. I thought her hair was just, she had beautiful hair, and I was thinking, wow, Jim, I had that great date, <laughs> you know, and then obviously it wasn't his date, and we got to know each other and got married and moved along. So, but that was the thing that attracted me to Jen when I first saw her was she had beautiful hair. And Brian's got the great hair too, but you can tell it's it's so blonde, it's almost white. So if you think about this, meeting him years back, longer hair, any Harry Potter fans out there? You know, it's like, did I marry Malfoy? Possibly. So here we are. And then the picture up there earlier, that was my COVID haircut because military, they let us grow our hair out, but I just couldn't handle it. So Jen is an amazing attorney, not a great barber, so we decided just to cut it all off instead of trying to do a haircut. But anyway, that's hair. So we're going to focus tonight, is the first session, on the theology of marriage. We're going to focus on theology, one, because I'm a big theology nerd and I love theology and I enjoy that, but also what you believe affects what you think, which affects what you do. So what you believe about your marriage is going to affect what you think about your marriage and think about your spouse, which is going to affect how you live your relationship out together. So we really want to put this at the foundational level. We want to talk about what is marriage from God's perspective? Why did he design it? What is its purpose? Because when we understand its purpose, then we know how to move forward with it. And we can see these things. Why is this not working the way I thought it was? Maybe it is, we just don't realize it because we got messed up in our head what the purpose of it is, or maybe we've fallen out of line with God's purpose for marriage. So we really want to focus first on what marriage is. So if we're going to build thriving marriages, they have to be built on a firm foundation. 
Now, we've all remembered Jesus' statement about the builders building in the sand and building on the rock. So here's one of the things that we've all experienced is there are a lot of sandy foundations for marriage that are taught to us. You know, sometimes it's our families. Well-meaning families talk about, hey, this is what marriage is for, but they're not pulling it from the Bible. They're pulling it from their experiences. And some of them have had bad experiences. And so saying, okay, watch out for this. We had one couple that they were in a small group with us and out of nowhere, um, the wife shared with the husband that she had a separate account because her mother had advised her never have all your money in a shared account because her mother had had a bad failed marriage and it caused problems. And so she had the secret account and it was this advice that her mother who loves her dearly, who wanted her to have a healthy relationship, but was concerned that that wasn't possible or wanted to protect her daughter more than her daughter's marriage and was giving her this advice. We've got these sandy foundations. Another thing is television. I mean, it's a really compelling story when the fulfillment, they've got this great relationship when before they're married, they have sex or they have the define the relationship conversation. We see this in film and television. They lay down this foundation of this is what marriage looks like, but they're not building it on what Jesus says marriage is. And we can't help but be affected by that. Art affects culture and always has. And when we watch television, when we watch movies, and they're great, compelling stories, but we've got to remember that just because it's a good, compelling story doesn't mean it's true or doesn't mean it's right. doesn't mean that's the way we should go. So these are some of the false foundations that we inadvertently build our marriages on. So tonight we're going to talk about what is the purpose of marriage from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk about why marriage exists. And I want you to think for a minute. Why are you married? Not why did you get married? That's an interesting conversation. You're going to talk about that later. But why are you married now? Because however long you've been married, whether it's been two weeks, two years, 20 years, it's changed probably a little bit. Because you've changed. Life means change, means growth or entropy, but there's going to be change. You've changed and your marriage has changed. So why are you married now? There's three theological foundational principles that we want to share with you about marriage. And first of all, marriage is there for you to experience mature, fulfilling love. For you to experience mature, fulfilling love. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, writes, real love, the Bible says, instinctively desires permanence. And if you think about it, think of the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. What has God been looking for? He creates these people to represent him on this planet, and they reject him. And for the rest of the Bible, through Revelation, God is calling them back to a permanent love. God is consistently calling us back to the point where he provided Jesus and his sacrifice to permanently defeat sin and death so he could have that permanent 
love and relationship with us that we regularly spit on and he keeps coming back to us because God has always desired that permanent love. And if you think about yourself, the people you love, why is it so painful as a teenager when your parents say, I'm disappointed in you? Or if you've come from a home where there's hurt, why is it painful? Because even as a child, you desire that permanent love. And when you feel like it's not there from a parent, because all of our parents are fallen, all of our parents struggle, you want that permanence. Marriage is designed for you to have that permanent love. But permanence is not just longevity. It's not just lasting until forever. Permanence is being naked and unashamed, like it says in Genesis 2.25. They were naked and unashamed. Permanence is more than just, we're going to be here together for a long time. It's, I can be me in front of you, and I don't have to be afraid that when you see the real me, you're going to turn tail and run. We've all kind of gotten used to wearing masks. I see some are wearing masks tonight, and um, we've all gotten used to COVID. It's like, hey, this is something that protects us. This is something that protects others. And this is a valuable tool and has been a valuable tool throughout the pandemic. And the problem is we also wear social masks. And these masks are intended to serve the same purpose, though just not from a molecular virus, right? Rather, it's to protect us from the pain that the people around us might cause us if they know the real me. If they know who I really am, if they know my sin, if they know my failures, if they know that just sometimes I'm an arrogant jerk, what are they going to think of me? Sometimes we wear those masks to protect others. I don't want to hurt this person, so I'm not going to reveal this ugliness in me. I'm not going to reveal this sinful pattern in me because I don't want to hurt them. If they knew that I was struggling with looking at pornography on the computer, if they knew I was struggling with having feelings for this coworker, I'm going to hide that and put it behind a mask because I don't want to hurt them. Permanence, permanent, mature, fulfilling love allows you to take off that mask and know that they will be with you through it. Matter of fact, they're going to be with you more and it's going to be stronger when you do take off that mask. So one of the theological principles is marriage is there so that you can experience mature, fulfilling love. And another principle is us growing to be more like Jesus, which is something that we want to do because that's good for ourselves. That's also good for our spouse, good for the entire community. And I've got to break something to you guys. We're blowing up pop culture here because marriage is not about happiness. Marriage is about holiness. Again, marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. Now, holiness isn't a drag, and we'll define what that is in just a minute, but I want to talk about happiness first because, unfortunately, 
Happiness is contextual and fleeting. And I think a really good example of this is, let's talk about what happened about 14 years ago in 2018, because it feels like, you know, pandemic plus another 10 years, am I right? So the way that it worked out was I was having my birthday and um, my two best friends live out of state. One's in Toledo, not too far away. The other one is in Tampa, Florida. So the one that's in Tampa, her name's Barb. This is important because Brian had asked me, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, you know what? I really, really want to see Barb, but I know that that can't happen. My birthday's in September. So, you know, travel with kids and school and that kind of stuff, this is not going to happen. So what, is, what does happen? Brian goes behind my back to my two best friends and is like messaging with them. And he's coordinating them coming into Michigan to surprise me. And Brian took off saying that he had to run some errands, okay? And he was actually going to the airport to pick Barb up from uh, the airport. And it was funny because he was gone a while, so I called him and I just said, babe, you doing okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. He's not a good liar. He wasn't going to say anything. And, and bonus if your spouse isn't a good liar, side note. Um, but I knew something was going on. And I even had kind and she of- she wouldn't let it go. She kept pushing on it. I might have even heard Barb chuckle in the background. I don't know. But she ended up, you know, pulling up in, in the car that Brian was driving. And it was just like awesome. I think that I might have pulled my back out or something because I like did a spin and was just all excited about it. But if Barb ended up coming to my house every single day, I wouldn't be as happy. She wouldn't get the toe-touching leaps in the air reception that she ended up getting that time. I gave her this big bear hug. I'm surprised she survived it. We didn't have to take her to U of M hospital because I was just so happy to see her. But again, it's contextual because I don't see her every day. Um, I don't think that that means that you should be unhappy in your marriage though, right? Because unhappy marriages, my friends, they never lead to holiness, in my opinion. Just pushing through, being unhappy, it's just a bad situation to be in. But it's important for us, like obedient children, that we are not complying with any evil urges that you used to follow in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, you need to become holy yourselves in all of your conduct. It's written, you shall be holy because I am holy. If you think I'm really smart and wrote it, I didn't. It was First Peter that ended up writing that. So First Peter 1, 15 through 16. So let's talk about holiness a little bit. All right. So I'm, again, I'm the theology nerd and I love getting into the Greek and Hebrew and stuff. But holiness does not mean unhappy. Any Monty Python fans in the room? Okay, a couple here. There's a scene from one of the Monty Python movies where you've got these monks. And they smack themselves in the head with this book. And they're just marching, da, 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 smack. And we get this opinion that that's what holiness is. Or we see all these paintings, right? These great Renaissance paintings of all these saints of the church. And they're so holy. And they're so sad. And while I want to be holy, I don't want to be like them because they're miserable. Or at least they appear to be. We have these weird views of what holiness is. So let's take a look at what holiness actually is. So the Hebrew word is kadosh. And kadosh means sacred of God, holy of God, separate, set apart. Holiness isn't, oh my gosh, I'm miserable. Look at how I'm suffering for God. It's I am set apart 
because God loves me. I am different because God is with me. And that was the intent of Israel. Look through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, especially look at Exodus and Leviticus. Look how much ink is spilled on having celebrations. God tells them, party! That's holiness. Holiness is celebrating who we are in God and celebrating that the God loves us and has redeemed us. Throughout the Old Testament, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, he freed us from Egypt and made us a kingdom of priests. And then that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who died for us and brought all of us into Abraham's family, whether we were ethnically Jewish or not, but brought us into that. So the Greek word is hagios, and that also means sacred or holy, and it's connected to faith and connected to serving God. So holiness does not mean somber or boring. Holiness means living in the freedom of Christ, free from sin, free to enjoy all that God has for you. Throughout Scripture, read through Scripture, and you see that's what God wants for you in your life, for you to experience the fullness of Him and the fullness of a relationship with Him. And marriage is intended for you to experience that. Marriage is intended for you to become that person that God always intended you to be, that royal priest or priestess that is here to represent God to the world and to care for this world that he created. Now, we didn't understand this when we first got married. No way. Uh, we, like many people, I love you. I want to be with you forever. And it was all me, me, me. And hey, you love me and you want to be with me. That's cool. So let's do that. And we did. Uh, and like everyone, we learned that those feelings change. Not that we stopped loving each other, but I don't think I've ever gotten a jumping out of your skin, I'm so happy to see you when I walked in the door like Barb did that day. When you came back from your deployment, maybe? Maybe, but you were kind of angry at having to come through the snow because I came back in January and you were driving through a blizzard. So you were happy to see me, but you were angry about driving in the snow. Or I was so I think scared you were because I was white-knuckled. <laughs> so that happiness changes. It changes over time, and that's okay, because happiness is contextual. Pursuing holiness leads to ultimate happiness. So in our marriage, when we understood that it's not about, hey, you need to make me happy, and when you don't make me happy, then you are failing as my wife, and so I'm going to be disappointed in you. That's a lot of pressure to put on her, because I might be unhappy because I've got a stomach ache because I was stupid and ate three Taco Bell burritos. Not her fault that I ate too much food. But that's where happiness fits in. Pursuing holiness leads to happiness. Now, Jesus said something like that. Pursue godliness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Something like that, right? When we pursue him, the other stuff comes to us. So how does marriage make us more holy? How does this relationship make us more godly, more like Jesus? I'll say this, marriage is a crucible in which our character is formed. Marriage is a place where Jen sees all my flaws, all my foibles, all my deliberate sins because I just don't want to do what I know I should do. 
Jen sees every one of those. Jen sees when I lose my temper because our children aren't doing what I want them to. Jen sees when I'm short-tempered just because I'm being selfish and I want it my way now. And my grown-up temper tantrums, she sees all that. And she's there to help me say, you know what? That's not okay. I love you. Our love is permanent. I'm not leaving, but I'm not going to accept your adult temper tantrums. We're going to work through this. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but in marriage, two become one, right? And so there's this pastor, Tim Ross, we met down in Texas, and I love the way he puts this. He says, your spouse is you, outside of you, looking at you, telling you about you. Ooh, say that again. Okay. Um, your spouse is you, outside of you, looking at you, telling you about you. I can't see my own back, right? I can't see, there's blind spots. There are things I can't see, but Jen can see them. I don't always see when I allowed my temper to control my discipline of the children. I still need to discipline them, right? I mean, children need to learn, and sometimes discipline is one of those things. So I think I'm just disciplining them. I'm just teaching them to be functional adults. And Jen says, no, you lost your temper there. You know, she is me outside of me, looking at me, telling me about me. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. I don't always like it. But she is always doing it because she wants what's best for me and for our marriage. And through that, my character is formed. And same kind of thing for me, babe, so I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, another reason um, that we have marriage, in, in addition to becoming more like Jesus, is we want to be representing God to those around us. And the purpose of marriage is really for us to be able to fulfill our purpose as humans. Now, of course, single folks, single folks are just as valuable, just as fantastic as married folks. But the marriage relationship allows us to fulfill our purpose as humans in so many ways because I really think that in so many ways, it's a situation where we're able to see things as they really are when we step into scripture and we're following what God's doing. I don't know if you guys have kids or have seen kids who are really into their video games and they're really invested in that kind of thing. We have an 11-year-old who will tell me everything about Minecraft and I still don't think I understand it at all. But he is in this kind of digital world, which is fine, nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times it's like, Jonathan, I want to get you out of here so that you can deal with the real world and see things as they actually are. And God can do that for us through that marriage relationship. The Westminster Short Catechism, Shorter Catechism puts it in this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And marriage is that crucible to our character to be able to do that. Um, Brian has a man crush on this guy, and his name is N.T. Wright. You might have heard of him. Anyone, He's N.T. Wright. 
He's a theologian. Not, I'm not the only one. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Your people. Okay. And, and he, he's great. He's written a bunch of things. And here's like a, a, a nerd kind of moment right now, which is he also writes as Tom writes. So when I'm hearing from Brian, I heard what Tom said. I know Brian's been listening to the NT Wright podcast and it's all kinds of fun. And it's neat because NT Wright writes about this in such a way where he's saying that we need to become these genuine human beings who are reflecting God and in whose image we're made through worship and also through mission. We've been talking a bit this evening about we are that royal priesthood. And again, that's out of 1 Peter 2. We are chosen by God. We are that royal priesthood, that holy nation. And we're supposed to be proclaiming those excellencies of God who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. And the other thing that I think can come to mind here is how much God loved us in making us and then looking ahead of ourselves to see us live into what he has for us to become the human beings that he designed us to be. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image and our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. So, If we're in God's image and likeness, we should be doing things like God. And something to take a look at in that passage is rule does not mean control over. It means that we're there to be caring for it. Um, Or I, I suppose another way to look at it would be this is done to bring order to the way God is controlling that creation. Another aspect of marriage can be revealing God through our love for each other. And this is huge and one of my favorite points in this um, because really your marriage relationship becomes a taste of the Trinity for others. And I'll elaborate on this because in the beginning creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Are you tracking with me here? Because the God is three in one, one God in three persons, the Trinity. We are two different people. We are one couple. So it's this beautiful foretaste and reflection back of God in the way that we can be as a married couple. So my question to you is, what are people seeing when they see your marriage? What are your kids seeing when they see your marriage? What about your friends, your neighbors, extended family members? What about your community? What are they seeing? Are they seeing your love for each other? Are they seeing God in how you interact with each other, how you treat each other? And what's interesting is we had this like really cool story. We had uh, lived in Northville. We uh, had a condo there, which we love the condos because they do all the snow removal and all the lawn care. Those were the days, let me just say. They also had a pool there, which was really cool. But when we were selling that condo and then moving into Ann Arbor, 
um, what ended up happening was I sat down with our female realtor, and then there was a female underwriter. And again, I'm the lawyer. We're going through some of the paperwork and things. And um, I remember just kind of stopping them because they were ready for me to kind of start signing documents. And I said, guys, this looks in order. This looks really good to me, but I've got to loop my husband in. And the reality is, guys, I don't think, just again, professionally, he's not going to be able to add more to what's here. He's not going to be able to to add to what this is from a legal perspective or a real estate perspective. But because he's my husband, I've got to bring him into this before we give you any kind of a final decision. And what was cool about it was I, that concept just floored the underwriter. And she looked at me and she said, you know, Jen, I want to hire you as my lawyer because if you're treating your husband that well, I know you're going to be treating me really well too. And that's how, just a small example of how our marriage displays Christ to those around us. Just that little thing, someone who didn't share our faith, but saw our relationship and didn't even see my face. Wouldn't I could pass her on the street. She doesn't even know who I am. But our relationship, she saw that. She saw Jesus. And that meant something to her. So understanding the theology of marriage helps us have a thriving marriage because what we believe determines what we think and what we do. We hope you enjoyed this replay of our live Operation Thriving Marriage Experience. And we're ready to come to you to do an Operation Thriving Marriage experience with your church or with your ministry. To get more information, you can go to 